Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks for joining us for episode 12. I'm your host, Steph Nugebauer, and today I'm here with special guest Anna Young. Anna is here to tell us about the 10 minutes that got her on local and national news and how she's been using those 10 minutes as a platform to speak about her passion, defending the unborn and speaking up for women everywhere. Anna, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Can you tell us about yourself for those listening who you know haven't read your news articles, you've made the LCMS reporter, you've even made your own local news. Yeah, let's hear about you. Thanks so much. So as you said, my name is Anna Young. I am a Nashville, Tennessee native. I've lived here all 18 years of my life because Nashville is where my dad currently serves his congregation as a pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church. So I graduated high school this past May, and in a few days, I'll be starting my freshman year at Concordia University, Wisconsin, where I will be part of the Business Scholars Program. So that's super exciting. I love working in politics, on campaigns, things like that, but my heart truly lies in the pro-life movement, advocating for families and pre-born babies in any way possible. So thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Well, okay, you're going to have to tell me what the what the business scholars program is mm-hmm. um because that is not my world and that that seems incredibly impressive, but I have no idea what that means. It's a super cool program that's I I'm pretty sure it's very unique to Concordia, Wisconsin where you can get your undergraduate undergraduate degree and your masters at the same time. And so it's a really great program so I'll end up in four years with both an undergraduate degree and a master's. Anna, that's awesome. And it sounds exhausting. (laughs) Are you going to (laughs) sleep? They do a pretty good job streamlining it. So you don't have to take too many credits, but I'm excited because a lot of my curriculum will be faith-based and I grew up in public school. So I think it's going to be really nice to have that Christian community in college. I think that you will really enjoy it. As we were, you know, talking before going live here, CUW is my alma mater, and I will tell you, you know, in all fairness to the other Concordias, I have not um, been a student, only visited other campuses. But the beauty of CUW, just being on Lake Michigan, it's I feel it's unrivaled, and I'm just excited for you to have that experience of the Concordia community and the great folks and the great programs there. So blessings to you as you move forward. You told me that you move next week on campus. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm really excited about it. Good, good. Dorm living is both challenging, exciting, and yeah, and I, I hope that you are able to get uh, a good amount of sleep because you shared with me that you're going to have ultimately eight roommates slash suite mates. So that is a lot of girls in one small section. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of Lutheran girls in one dorm. I think four of my roommates are all named Catherine, and <laughs> and three of them, including myself, are pastors' daughters. So it's gonna we're gonna have some good discussions. I'm pretty well, sure. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. <laughs> That's great, Anna. You are you're 18. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so you're you're only 18, but you have already had quite the impact in the life arena. First of all, with starting up a Students for Life group in your public school, your public high school, and then most recently, you won the National Right to Life Oratory Contest in 2021. 
congratulations to you, first of all. Thank and you. can you tell us what led you to get so involved in this pro-life work, especially while you're in the midst of doing high school stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So my parents, they raised me to be pro-life. My dad took me to a Lutherans for Life conference in, I believe I was in the seventh grade. And I always knew what abortion was. Um, and I, I went to that conference and it always remained in my mind. But then a couple of years later, my dad took a group of adults from my church to go see the Gosnell movie. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with that movie, it details an abortionist who's now in jail um, up north who did terrible, horrific things. But it really just highlights how the abortion industry at large is corrupt. And it's very dangerous, especially for pre-born babies, but also for women. And so I was supposed to be at school that day, but he was like, do you want to skip and go to a movie? And I said, sure, of course, I'm, I'm like down for skipping school. And so we went and um, my eyes were opened and I just started crying at the end of the movie. And I remember I went to the bathroom to kind of dry my tears and I looked in the mirror and I was like, you know, I don't know if I can end this, but I don't know if I can live with myself if I don't try. And so I was a sophomore in high school at the time. I was so busy. I was in competitive marching band, dance, theater, French honor society, history honor society, basically anything possible. I was part of that. But what I figured out is when you truly are convicted about something, if you're passionate about something, you will make the time for it. So I started Googling and I found Students for Life, which The reason I was so attracted to them is that they really focused on helping public school students start the conversation about abortion. Because in my 18 years of life, I never heard the word abortion at school mentioned in a way other than just something that's a right to privacy. And so um, I started this group. I didn't know anyone that would join. I did not have any friends that were excited about it. I didn't have any officers. I had no one. And I honestly was dealing with a lot of spiritual warfare. Should I even do this? I I didn't have anyone on my side besides my parents. And so I had a club fair. I had a sign-up table. And I ended up having 50 people sign up for my club. So the first year, we actually had around like 25 active members. And I continued that into my senior year. And it, it was such a blessing. There were struggles Teachers did not like me. Students did not like me. But I really had to surrender the opinions of other people because I, this was this was God molding me into the woman that I'm supposed to be. And I I have grown immensely over the past couple years. And so that that idea of me learning and being able to defend my position led me to do things this past year that I would never have been able to do in years previous. So I heard about a right to life oratory competition and I'd never done speech and debate. I've never I'd never publicly spoke other than being in shows and theater growing up. And so I decided I'm just gonna do the county. And then I ended up winning first place at the county. I went to the state and I ended up winning first place at the state. And then they told me, here's your ticket to Washington DC you're going to be on the national stage. And so at that point, I was like, I don't even care if I win or not. I am just so ecstatic to be here. I went on my own. So it was like a really cool moment of like independence for me. And I ended up winning first place and got to speak right before Senator Tom Cotton. And it was it was a very cool experience. Wow. I can tell that, you know, at 18 years old, you are incredibly wise and, um, and very grounded. And before, again, before we started recording, you told me that it was your mission for your senior year to do stuff in that year that 
really put you out of your comfort zone, that, that mm-hmm. things that really scared you. What, wh- why did you take on that challenge? Because most people your age, most people, goodness, at, at 50 or 60 don't feel like taking on challenges that scare them. Where did that mm-hmm. come from? Well, I, I'm somebody that has struggled with anxiety for a while. And I've realized sometimes I wake up and the only thing I'm feeling is just afraid. And God does not give us a spirit of fear. And so um, I, I, it wasn't me learning to get rid of my anxiety. It was learning to work with it. And so this past year, I was like, I'm going to do things that get me out of my comfort zone, that push me um, in a positive direction. I'm not jumping off cliffs. This is something that I want to do. And I have so many role models and mentors around me in the pro-life movement that I look up to so highly. And I've always wondered, how do I get there? How do I, how, how do I become so bold? And the answer is you go for it. And so that's what I did. I think sometimes the hardest part is just the first step. And so, um, yeah, it, it's been awesome. I, I can't even believe it. Sometimes the girl that I see speaking in front of people doesn't necessarily feel like me. I still feel like a kid a lot of the times. So it's really cool when you, trust in the Lord. He does more things than you can imagine. And his plans are way better than my plans. <laughs> you're, you're right. I mean, being bold, how do you become bold while you do bold things in a positive way? <laughs> like you said, like you're not jumping off cliffs. You're not um, piercing your body every which way, but you're doing things that, uh, that challenge you and that, that serve other people. And I see what I'm seeing right now, um, because I can actually see you though. Our listeners can only hear, but what I see is a beautiful, empowered, young woman who is sticking up for life, both preborn and the life that is a adulthood as well. And I am inspired by you. Uh, so thank you. thank you. Now, this really intrigued me, Anna, because you you chose, I, I don't know how it works with the, the contest, if you're given themes to choose or if you get to choose any theme you would like, but you chose to kind of take your speech from the angle of the subject of female empowerment. So how did you settle on that on that subject and taking it from that vantage point? I actually have gotten this question a lot because anybody that knows me, I don't consider myself a feminist in any respect. So they think it's interesting that I chose this topic, but we actually got to choose between um, a couple different life issues. We got to choose if we want to talk about euthanasia, abortion, stem cell research, or something of that nature. So I chose abortion because that's what I felt most called to talk about, but I wanted to have my own unique spin on it. I didn't want to just preach to people in the crowd that life begins at conception because they know that, but I wanted to engage on an issue in the culture that we talk about all the time. It's kind of a trendy subject, female empowerment. I wanted to appeal to people that may not be pro-life already. I wanted them to hear my take on how abortion doesn't empower women. And I didn't just come to this in my own brain. I was scrolling through Instagram a while ago. I referenced this in my speech and I came across a quote that said, there's nothing more empowering than a woman walking into a Planned Parenthood. And automatically with my knowledge of abortion, I doubted that, but I actually had never been. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, well, I probably should go just to make sure maybe I'm missing something. You know, I could be wrong. And I went and I wasn't, I wasn't, I was completely baffled at what I saw. It was a day that I will never forget. And 
I, I wanted to focus on more of a trendy topic to get people's attention, but then I really wanted to tell them what I wanted to say. So I wanted something, <laughs> I wanted people to be interested in what I had to say um, without having preconceived notions of what pro-lifers are and they, they hate women and things like that. I, I wanted to get their attention and then really tell them the truth in my speech. Does your speech have a title? I believe it was Empowered for Life. Empowered for Life. Mm-hmm. You're right. That way to catch uh, people's attention is to choose a trendy subject and then blast them with the truth, which is what you <laughs> did. And we'll we will um, be able to link to the LCMS Reporter article that features you, and then people can look up your speech for themselves. It's it's about ten minutes long, so it's a rather short speech, but you have filled it up with some major truth bombs and some and some some really good points. So we'll get there, but <laughs> I find it interesting that you you looked up or you saw an Instagram post by Planned Parenthood that said, what did it say again? Tell me again. There is nothing more empowering than a woman walking into a Planned Parenthood. There is nothing more empowering than a woman walking into Planned Parenthood. And so then you're your response to that was, well, I should go see for myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's great because I do not believe that if I read something like that, my initial reaction would be like, well, I got to go check this out. And uh, for one, I think that is great that that is how you even approached seeing something, a tagline that you that you disagree. But tell us what that's like because chances are people who are listening may have themselves been in a Planned Parenthood, but more than likely may not have firsthand experience being in or around a Planned Parenthood. What was that like for you? And then how did how did that experience affect you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we as pro-lifers, we know that a majority of us, I mean, all of us acknowledge that abortion exists and is wrong. But it's another thing to know that it happens in your community every single day and it affects people every single day and babies die every single day and women are hurt every single day, probably close to 20 minutes from you. And so that was something that I think was so important for me to go. And I know some people are called to be sidewalk counselors. That is their place in the pro-life movement. And some people aren't. Some people are called to write or speak. But I do think it's important that everyone goes at least once. You don't have to say anything, even if you just stand there and pray. I think it is so important to have a visible presence on the sidewalk, not to shame women, not to make them feel like we are condemning them in any way, but as a visible reminder that there are options for them that there is another way. And it works. We have amazing sidewalk ministry in Nashville where they save babies every single day by just saying, we're going to walk with you through this. And so I called up a friend. I didn't want to go by myself. I was 17. And I called up a friend. I said, bring your Bible. We're going to go and just check this out. And we got there and there was a woman there already praying. And honestly, I think one of the coolest parts was the community that you meet on the sidewalk because there's a huge fence. So you can't even see. Um, anything except the driveway and then part of the building. You can see people walking in, but you are not allowed on the premises because we want to be law-abiding. We want to be peaceful. So the community there on the sidewalk was awesome. We met some amazing women who do this all the time and help out women. But the overwhelming feeling that I felt, despite the joy that I met meeting these people, was overwhelming heaviness. It was like a weight was on my chest. I almost felt nauseous the whole time. There was actually a non-emergency ambulance that pulled up 
while we were there, which means they don't want the sirens to be known in the neighborhood showing that Planned Parenthood is dangerous. And so I felt overwhelmingly heavy as I saw women walk in looking like that was the last place they wanted to be. And when you see someone hurting like that, you can't help but spring into action. It's one thing to hear about it. You hear news stories, you hear things like that, but it's another to see it with your own eyes, especially as a 17-year-old girl. These were girls that could have been my classmates. They looked just like me. They looked like I would have been friends with her or sat with her at lunch. And so I, I don't understand why sometimes people neglect to be friends with people from the sidewalk too. I think it's so important that people are there. And what what you're describing sounds a lot like uh, my experience with being in the presence of Planned Parenthood and its its property. And so from what I'm hearing you say, you didn't go undercover necessarily as in you Mm -mm. didn't walk into the building, but you were on the outside of the building. And it sounds like what's going on in Nashville was how things were in St. Louis when I was there, meaning that they, they had this privacy fence all around the property. And so really, eventually after about five years of of me working right across from Planned Parenthood, they made that fence higher and then harder mm-hmm. to see through, including when cars and, and even ambulances would go through, then they would draw an extra tarp in the front so people couldn't take pictures or, or um, kind of go beyond any kind of privacy rights. But you certainly could see cars going into the driveway. You certainly could see young girls, women, their their boyfriends or partners or whatever, walking in with them and then again, walking out. And it sounds like you were there for a number of hours, right? Mm-hmm. I'd say I was around there for three hours or so because I saw women walk in and I also saw them walk out. And I think the thing that struck me the most was they walked out with the same problems that they walked in with. They might not be pregnant when they walk out, or they might walk out with an abortion pill, but they were with the same abusive boyfriend. They had the same financial struggles. If they were dealing with a problem emotionally, they were possibly dealing with it more when they left. And so society brands abortion as the solution. And I, the government gives $90 million to Planned Parenthood. So it's really hard to see the reality of it when you're constantly being fed that this is the solution. It's so good. It's empowering. But I don't think a lot of those people that are saying that have met women that have had abortion and heard how it affects them, how their suicide rate goes up or the chance of them having breast cancer or having miscarriages. Abortion opens up a world of hurt an already hurting woman. Hmm. And that's kind of the launching point that you sprung from as far as talking about what actually empowers women. And mm-hmm. then the, the bottom line is that, well, it's it's not abortion. And you, you mentioned in your speech seeing a specific couple walking in, mm-hmm. the boyfriend or whoever was the guy that was with this young woman had... Mm-hmm. Um, headphones in, AirPods, whatever, and looked somewhat disinterested. And it's hard to say what exactly, of course, was going on Mm -hmm. in that situation. You know, when I was working across from Planned Parenthood, I would see all sorts, different kinds of people and um, how people 
looked, all of course would be different. And I know from working in pregnancy centers that truly each woman's situation is different, especially in, in the case of an unplanned pregnancy. Now they might have support around them or they may have no one that would support them through a pregnancy. They could be young in their teens. They could be 40 and not wanting a baby. They could be wealthy. They could be impoverished. And all of these women, they all had different hopes and and dreams for their future, I would imagine. But from your understanding, is there some kind of common thread when a woman is seeking an abortion? What do you believe women are are hoping to retain or to preserve when they are seeking an abortion? That's a great question. It's something that I don't know if I have the exact answer to. I think that's what we think about all the time in the pro-life movement because the women that seek abortion, it is such a diverse group of people that do. Studies have shown that a lot of the women seeking abortion are in church every Sunday or are married or they have already had kids or they know that life begins at conception. And so if I was to say something right now, and I I think that I do need to think about this a lot more, but it would be to regain some sort of control, to have some sort of ownership over something. And whether this girl is in medical school and her school says that she's, they're going to kick her out if she has this baby, that's her trying to regain her control. Or a woman who has eight kids already and she doesn't think that she's going to be able to do this again. And so I think the common thread that we need, though, is support. And studies have shown that if a man, whether they're married or they're dating or he just got her pregnant, if he says to the woman that he's going to be there for her, if he says, I will stand with you, not even get married, just I will be there with you, she is 70% more likely to choose life. And so that shows that what these women need more than anything is support. And even if she does choose abortion, she still needs support. So we can't, we can't just care about if she gets the abortion and then we drop it at that. We have to care about after as well. So I, I think, yeah, like I said, women are hoping to preserve control. They want to preserve their current situation because abortion isn't going to make her situation better. It's just wanting to preserve her current situation. That would be my experience with working with women who were considering abortion in in pregnancy centers. I worked it for five years in St. Louis, and then now in the two other states that our family has lived in, I've I've served in in pregnancy centers. And though I can't directly place myself in their shoes, I do know from talking to them what they tell me their concerns and their fears are. And I, I would say that from the stories that I've heard, a lot of it has been the same in that the common thread is that exactly as you said, they want to maintain their current status as is without having that the little ripple that is the um, pregnancy and then the, of course, the after effects of a pregnancy, which is actually caring for a baby and then a toddler and then a kid and then into adulthood. What do you think in today's world, um, Planned Parenthood or any other kind of abortion providers are, are promising an abortion will provide for these women? And then obviously, I, I know the answer, but how does abortion fail on its promises to do just that? Well, Planned Parenthood in itself is, it's, it's ironic that they call it Planned Parenthood, because if you call Planned Parenthood, which you could do today if you wanted to, I, I called my local Planned Parenthood and I asked them, 
if they had any adoption referral services. Um, and they said they couldn't provide that at the time. They also don't provide prenatal care. Um, they don't even provide mammograms. So um, the idea that Planned Parenthood is the only solution for women's health is a lie. We have federally qualified health centers. We don't need Planned Parenthood, but yet they promise that this is the solution for women. It's a haven for women, um, no matter their socioeconomic status or anything about them. And I, it's hard for me to, to not get emotional when I think about this because women think that this is the solution for them, yet they leave with more problems than they had when they walk in. And they they also don't offer care for women after they've had an abortion. Like a pregnancy resource center is going to offer care for a woman throughout her pregnancy. But if she chooses to have an abortion, they will also offer care for her. And, and that that is caring for the woman. Planned Parenthood is a corporate business. They are looking for profits. They are not looking to empower women in the slightest. I would say that what Planned Parenthood or other abortion providers promise the abortion to solve is providing a, a way out of a very unwanted, unpleasant situation. And as mm-hmm. you have very well put, <laughs> it it doesn't solve the unwanted situation. It only makes it different. So now instead mm-hmm. of being pregnant and then having a child, they deal with post-abortive issues. And mm-hmm. um, those are many and documented and not something we we really talk about and certainly not something that an abortion provider will talk about, the, the consequences of women um, choosing abortion for their future. Uh, now, Anna, as a young woman and someone who is very passionate about human rights just for its own sake, what is the best possible outcome for uh, A, the woman with the unplanned pregnancy, and then B, the unborn baby? And then how is that the ultimate example of what we would consider female empowerment? The best possible outcome for a woman is for her to choose life, not reluctantly, but joyfully knowing that her dreams aren't crushed. Yes, her life may look different. Her plans might have to change, but God has way better plans for her. And I I pray that that woman in that situation has a partner that supports her, builds a family with her. I pray that she receives the support and understanding she needs from the church, whether that be rent money, babysitting needs, or just simply prayer. And I think obviously the best possible outcome for that preborn baby is for it to be born, for it to be loved, for it to be baptized and brought into God's family. And it's entirely possible that the baby born isn't going to be born into good circumstances. It could be born into a bad household, but it's it's never an excuse to end a life that has endless potential because of God um, to, to grow from those circumstances. So we should focus on ending the suffering, not the sufferer, and ending the life of a preborn baby is never the solution. Then Anna, how would you define as a young Christian woman, how would you define what it means to be empowered and what is female empowerment through the lens of the scriptures? Mm -hmm. The world and the Bible do not agree on this. I can tell you that. (laughs) And in my view, 
female empowerment is embracing the God-given role of being a woman. And it seems that our culture has completely lost that. So it's no wonder that abortion is on the rise. So scripture is very clear in, on this. In fact, I, I would argue we are given possibly one of the most powerful roles ever, and that's to raise up the next generation. Like, it's, it's amazing to me how much power that actually holds. Women get to raise, they get to mentor, they get to pray for, they get to shape the next generation. And that the next generation includes the next pastors, the future of the church. It includes doctors, it includes future moms, future dads, um, future friends. It's, it's all of those things that fall under your vocation is from the next generation. And so when we lean into the Bible as our authority and not take cues from the culture on how we're supposed to live, and we understand that God is the author of our days, he is in charge of how we spend our time, true freedom flourishes. So there is such freedom in following the one who created us the way he created us to be. Hmm. And the, the same could really be said, though, adjusting it a little bit also about men <laughs> and and what is just human em- empowerment and then both male and female well it's um using your god-given gifts and then happily accepting the vocations that god has placed before you and then doing a good job with them that mm-hmm. that's what it means to be empowered <laughs> and, um, and being a being a woman is so much more of an amazing thing when men do their job too And so when you're both working in tandem, there's a reason that God created Adam and Eve. He didn't just create Adam and then he was like, oh, I'll add in Eve too. He just created Eve. You're created for each other. And so when both of you lean into scripture, you're both embracing your role. You're complementing each other. Eve is helping Adam. Um, That's where the freedom lies. I, I don't think that we should just focus on women, women, women all the time. Like society pushes that idea. It needs to be both. I agree completely. And we have a podcast episode about that uh, previously with um, Jonathan and Krista Petzold that's worth checking out too. Anna, you end your speech with it really in two different ways. And this really struck me. First of all, you offered a word of hope for women who have had an abortion. You offered them the gospel, but then you also wrapped up your speech with a call to action for um, those who are in the life arena. I thought that was a perfect way to finalize your speech. How how really is that the ultimate example of how the the church should respond and how the church should act? Yeah. So the beautiful thing, so obviously I'm Elsie Miss Lutheran. The beautiful thing about being Lutheran is the grace that we get to rest in, knowing that our faith is not a result of our works, but because of our faith in Jesus, it's a privilege to serve God. And we can do good works in his name and not for our own glory. So I do a lot of work in politics, and our primary goal from a legislative standpoint is to make abortion illegal, outlaw abortion. But the church has a pivotal role in making abortion unthinkable. This means that life issues shouldn't just be preached about on a life Sunday. It's not just a once a year topic. 
we should pray for our leaders in the petitions and divine service every Sunday. That includes our pro-abortion politicians such as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, we should be praying for pre-born babies and women affected by abortion in our petitions. We, be, we should be praying bold prayers because we, we shouldn't be ashamed that this exists um, by, not, by not praying about it. Um, we should be knowledgeable about the politics surrounding the life issue because whether we like it or not, politics do affect our ability to worship, our ability to have church. And they do affect whether or not the most innocent are protected in our community. I, <laughs> I'm just so I'm amazed by how wise and well-spoken you are. And it's kind of taken me aback um, because I'm just thinking of <laughs> myself at your age. I just did not have my stuff together like you do. <laughs> and what you are saying, Anna, is so wise and so very timely for our current culture today, both outside and then with, within the church. And we, we need to be hearing this. So in the words of Timothy, uh, from First Timothy, um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, mm. but set an example for believers in faith and life and love and purity. And that's what I see you doing. And I'm so thankful for the gifts that God has given you. Mm. The, the ending of your speech really struck a chord with me because I think it was sensitive to to two different things. One is that even as Christians, as you had mentioned, even as Christians, we need to be aware of the fact that the women who are sitting in our pews may very well have had an abortion. Just because they're in church doesn't mean that they are pro, pro-life in, in every um, respect. And it also doesn't mean that in their past um, abortion hasn't been something that that they've chosen. And so by finishing your speech with really this gospel proclamation, not condemning women who have chosen abortion, but calling them to the repentance and then healing, mm. that is something that Christians need to keep in mind as they go forward having these conversations. And then also you basically gave a call to action at the very end where you ask people to step up and do something. And you're 18 years old and you're asking people to do this. And it's just, it's really striking. And it, it kind of like wakes us up from our slumber in a way for at least for adults and be like, Anna at 18 years old is calling the church to do something. And so again, our work is twofold is to talk about abortion with sensitivity and compassion for those who have had abortions, but then it's also to not just sit and talk, but to actually do. And that, that is quite literally what you're doing. <laughs> you started a, a, a students for life group while you were in, in high school, you went forward with this, um, this testimony and have won the oratory contest and you're, you're moving forward in um, in college studying to get your bachelor's and master's so that you can make an impact on this very issue. And that's a great example for everyone listening um, here today. Now, I guess my my next question is, what kind of advice do you have for the generations that are coming after you, people who are younger than yourself, who might be stirred by these conversations about um, abortion and, and and human rights and protecting young women, young men, and and preborn babies, but but they're feeling, man, I don't have the the gifts that Anna does to be um, 
<laughs> writing in to win this oratory contest, or I don't have the the confidence that Anna has, or or I'm I'm too young, or I'm I'm really not called to to get involved. Well, what would you say to them? What kind of encouragement would you offer? And and then maybe like what's a just a simple first step to everyone listening, just regardless of age, for getting involved in pro life work. Yeah, I would be the first to tell you that when I started, I was arguably too young, not equipped, did not feel qualified enough to be considered called. I never really, I never thought that God would call me to something very specific. I thought that he just called us to be Christian, spread the gospel, but I didn't think that he was going to call me to a very specific cause that takes a lot of energy, to be frank. And I I tell people the only thing you need to be pro-life is to be human. I think it should be a prerequisite for being human that you should care about other humans. But <laughs> Ditto. I would, yeah, I, I would encourage the people listening that you should not feel intimidated by others around you who seem more qualified, who seem more experienced or saving more babies than you. They speak better. I... I, I dealt with this a lot. I think there's a lot of comparison once you get into the pro-life movement. You look at these pro-life champions and you say, I could never do that. But you have to remember that God doesn't call you to be somebody else. God calls you to lean into your own unique, individual, handmade purpose. And the step for you could just be starting. It could be joining a group. Some people aren't going to be the leaders in this movement. I can tell you the number one thing we need right now is not more leaders. It's more support. It's more people that are willing to join and add something extra into their day. So I would encourage people, do not be intimidated. Um, Start small. Trust that the Holy Spirit will guide you. I had a spirit of fear for the first year that I was involved. I was terrified of everything that I did. I would talk to my mom and like sometimes get teary and say, I don't know if I can do this. I'm too nervous. But trust in the that the Holy Spirit will guide you. He will strengthen you through this. He will sharpen your spirit. And a small step, start with prayer. Start with praying every single night for God to show you what your role is in this for him to strengthen you for courage because he will give you situations where you will use, you will have to use courage <laughs> start with joining a group um, educating yourself there's plenty of resources online from Lutherans for Life has great stuff I have been involved with the Y for Life chats that they do every single week you join a Zoom chat you get to talk with students around the country it's a safe space place to ask questions. Um, talk to your family, maybe volunteer once a month. I, I think that we get so overwhelmed with, we need to end abortion, which we should, but it's, it's not just us that has to do it. We have a whole community around us. And I think if everyone does something small to start, you will continue to grow in strength, grow in conviction, grow in confidence in your pro-life beliefs, and God will take you the rest of the way. Hmm. And we can learn from you, Anna, and kind of your your challenge for last year to to do things that are hard, but mm-hmm. doing things that are good. And I I like the first steps that that you gave, pr- praying for one. And I'm kind of ashamed to say it's only um, recently that in our own little family devotions with our our little five year old and our little two year old at night that we've started 
adding prayers for unborn babies, their mamas, their daddies, the pregnancy centers that care for them, women who are considering abortion. We have started to pray for that specifically. And that's something you can very easily do with your family, with your church family and your Bible study group. Doing as you did where you were outside of an abortion facility and you um, just witnessed kind of what the environment was like and then started praying very, very peacefully present there. Yeah. Volunteering at a local pregnancy center, many in various ways. And if anyone has questions about how they can get involved, I mean, they can just go to our LCMS Life Ministry webpage or even email us at our, at our email address. I'll share in a little bit. Um, those are great ideas to kind of an introductory level of getting started in, in this movement. And especially in your church as well, I think that's a perfect place to start if you're unsure. Um, If your pastor is not preaching about the life issue, you could start by encouraging him to do so. Um, You could start by starting a life team at your church. Have that support that is purely backed by scripture. You shouldn't have to try and convince anyone at your church. And I would also encourage any pastors listening, if there's anyone in your congregation that expresses interest in pursuing something in the life ministry, please support them. I would not be where I am today without the support of my congregation. They are the first ones to donate. They are the first ones to show up. They're the first ones to congratulate me or drive me somewhere. And I I think that the support from a congregation is what we need just in general. It's community is lacking especially the past year. And this is the time for us to band together for a common cause that will do good. If you join the pro-life movement, you will be doing good. Mm. Anna, how do you see yourself doing good in the future? I mean, you're starting at CUW, you're majoring in, in business. How do you see yourself staying active in the life arena, both during your college years? And then what do you hope to do after you've graduated? Yes. And, you know, I am still figuring that out. But right now I serve as the Tennessee Public Policy Captain with Students for Life Action. So that's the political action arm of Students for Life. And so in Tennessee, this I, I've served as in this position for a year and a half. I've organized lobby days. We contact legislators. We um, keep up to date on legislation. I let pastors know what's going on. Um And I testify at hearings, create petitions, all of that. So I'm actually transferring that role to Wisconsin. So I am the new Wisconsin public policy captain, which is a little daunting because I'm not from Wisconsin and (laughs) I'm doing a lot of learning right now. Um, I don't really know many people that live there. So I'm making connections. That's what I'm hoping to do when I get there is um, continue to build a culture of life wherever you go, because being pro-life is so applicable to anywhere you go. Um, There is always a need. Um, for people speaking into the pro-life issue. So I hope to do that. I will likely work for some pro-life candidates. I think that's really important to support those in any way possible. And then I'll get involved with CW's pro-life ministry. I, in the future, I do love to speak. So I hope that God opens more doors for that in that area of my life. I love to share how important this movement is for the kingdom. Um, and that anyone is welcome in the pro-life movement. And 
so I hope to I hope to continue to public speak. So if anyone wants me to come speak to them, let me know. <laughs> they would be served very well. I, you know, can can vouch for that for sure. You are very gifted, Anna, and I'm I'm very I'm proud of you and I'm very thankful that God has given you as a gift to his his people. And I hope that people listening are are encouraged as I sh- I'm sure they will be. Um also emboldened and um, not to be discouraged by already all the stuff you've accomplished and all the stuff you're going to do. Um, this is Anna and her her gifts and her callings. And like you said, everybody has a chance to be involved in this movement and, and in their own capacity, but, but do something, don't do nothing. Mm-hmm. And I also encourage listeners to go listen to your full speech online because it really is quite something. Thank you, Anna, so much for joining us today and for sharing with us and God's blessings to you as you start your journey at CUW. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button on your app so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop the second and fourth Fridays of every month. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Mm-hmm.